Welcome to the East End Fellowship Podcast. East End Fellowship is a community of Christians located in Richmond, Virginia, with the goal of seeing every person become a disciple of Jesus and live in the joy and justice of God's kingdom. Our spiritual family meets weekly in house churches and on Sundays at our large gathering. The following is a teaching from our time together. We hope you feel encouraged, challenged, and delighted by what you hear. All right, so we are in uh, now, you know, kind of knee deep in our current sermon series entitled I Am. And um, much of the series has been kind of focusing on how God reveals himself throughout all of Scripture. And so the first half of this uh, series has been looking at the Old Testament and various passages and even stories where God shows up and reveals himself. And then the second half of the series, which we'll get to eventually, um, will focus on Jesus' I am statements in the Gospel of John, because he says that a lot. And so we'll, we'll get into what does that really mean. And so last week we were reminded by uh, Elder Elena that God reveals himself as a potter in the Old Testament. And um, if you haven't listened to it, and you weren't here, you should go back and listen to it. It's great. Um, but some of the things that, that Elena focused on was how um, God as the potter, right, and us being the clay, God often molds us, and God also desires to mend us. And kind of a, a lasting image um, from that sermon was uh, she used the, the metaphor of the kintsugi, right? And so the um, this Japanese tradition of, of using clay pottery and how they would break uh, the pottery, but then they would reassemble it and, and um, refashion it. And what I loved about that, it was this beautiful image of how, like what God does, God does with us, right? How when God encounters us and seeks to transform us, God doesn't just restore us to who we were, but God resurrects, right? God makes us new. And so uh, as we shift to today, um, there's another metaphor that we're going to look at because the Bible is full of metaphors. Um, what we're going to think, what we're going to reflect on today is this idea of God being a shepherd. And so... I invite you to please stand for the reading of God's word if you're, if you're able and um, hear the word of the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the, valley, through the darkest valley, King James is in my head, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over, overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. So I feel like Psalm 23 is like got to be in the top five. It's like the Rush Mount, uh, Mount Rushmore of, of scriptures. Maybe top two, like after the Lord's Prayer, because everybody knows the Lord's Prayer, right? Why do you think that is? And this isn't a rhetorical question. Why do you think it's so popular? Any ideas? Comforting. Comforting? Metaphor. Meta- Gotta love the metaphors. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. It's not as dark as something else. It's not as dark. We've to that, right? There's some dark psalms in there. Yeah, it's a little bit, it talks about darkness, but like, but God's with you, right? Um, any other things? It's short. Yes, yes, yes. That makes it very easy to remember. Why is that the prosperity 
Boom. Been waiting for that one. Been waiting for that one. <laughs> Some prosperity in there. Anything else? Pastor, yeah. Yeah, yeah, great responses. Um, if this is a class, you all will all get A's for participation. Um, what I, one thing I love about this, this uh, psalm is it has this personal touch, right? It says, the Lord is my shepherd. Um, there's this intimate feel to it. And at the same time, it's a communal psalm because psalms were used in c- corporate liturgy, right? It's the communal element to that too. But psalms in the Bible are often painting pictures for us. The first image we have in this psalm is of a shepherd leading us on a stroll that includes a, a scenic path, physical rest, soul restoration or refreshment. And even when things get bleak, right, even when you're in the darkest valley, God's presence prevents fear and brings comfort. Then there is this imagery of being honored at a table and anointed, even though this happens in the company of enemies. This is a psalm of contrast, and it shows the sovereignty of this shepherd over everything that we experience. Things might get rough, but God promises to take care of his sheep. It's noteworthy that shepherd is the metaphor that David uses to describe God, a metaphor that Jesus later picks up to describe himself. Shepherds were not wealthy individuals in David's context. So what does it mean that God identifies with this lower societal role? Remember that David is also writing from experience. He had been a shepherd. When his older brothers were out fighting in the king's army, he was resigned to this less impressive role. And I think that's part of why it's such a big deal for him to leave the shepherd field and to go out and to slay Goliath, right? This young shepherd boy somehow does this. Shepherding was also a really fragile business. There was so much that could go wrong that could jeopardize your profit if you were a shepherd, right? An animal could attack the sheep. Sheep could be stolen by thieves. Shepherding was not lucrative. And the God of the universe, the great I am, decides to identify with this profession. Who is this God? The first thing we learn about this shepherd is that this shepherd cares for his sheep. He's a provider, so much so that it says that David will lack nothing. Presumably, we will lack nothing. Um, I think I've shared this with maybe a few of you in the past, but um, uh, years ago, my brother, who was a year older than me, he um, was a recipient of this college scholarship. And this scholarship was uh, funded by this um, billionaire, right? It's like a 90-year-old billionaire. And he invites my brother to come out to his house. And I get to be his plus one. And so I show up. It's this nice estate, beautiful property. You know, we're chatting. There's like this chef who just pops up out of nowhere with this spread and creme brulee. Then his wife is telling us about all the horses on their property. And I'm like, hey, man, like, tell me about like, what your typical day look like. He said, oh, you know, I get up. At the time, he was, he was 92. He said, I get up, you know, I sit on the porch and grab the newspaper to make sure I'm up to date on the current happenings around the world. And um, I just remember thinking to myself, is this how billionaires be out here living? Like, just riding horses, eating creme brulee? Um, now, of course, this guy, his life was not perfect. There are things, this hardship that he had been through in the past. But at this point, there were so many things that were just at his fingertips. He didn't lack a whole lot. And when I first read um, uh, verse 1 of today's psalm, it reminded me of what it might mean to have everything that you need. What does that mean? The point is that God actually can provide us with all the things that we need. 
And this can seem, I think, uh, foreign to our experience a lot of the time. It can be hard to believe that's even possible. Sometimes we can doubt that God is able or willing to provide for us, especially when there's so many seasons in our life where we experience lack or we witness lack all around us, in our neighborhood, in our city. But this psalm is this statement that God's care and concern for us never wanes. God always has our good in mind, even when the way he works is not what we always want or what we would expect. God is always a good shepherd. He has not forgotten about us. And so the first point is that this shepherd cares for his sheep. He cares for his sheep. Now, even though God provides for us, I do think that we can get um, a bit distracted. Let's say, I'll speak for myself, I can get a bit distracted. Sometimes we can stray. And I think the story of Chris the sheep sheds some light on this. We're going to reflect a little bit on Chris the sheep. So um, we've got a video we're going to show. We're going to leave the lights on because it's not a long video. But um, meet Chris the sheep. People in Australia were worried when they saw a beast lurking about in the bush near Canberra. Was it Bigfoot? Was it a wolf? Nope. What it really was did make many laugh out loud. The Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, RSPCA, quickly ordered brave soldiers to capture the beast that the Australians were talking about. When they neared it, they almost fainted. What was it? It was a sheep. <laughs> a humongous sheep in serious need for grooming and shearing. They called this sheep Chris, and the RSPCA believes that maybe the sheep escaped the farm from his routine shearing five years ago. And because no one knew it, and because the sheep couldn't groom himself, he wasn't sheared. Until now. Oh my God, would you look at that. The RSPCA immediately called for a hairdresser to come and groom the poor sheep. And as it turns out, they needed five instead of one because it was an impossible task. It took the hairdressers more than 40 minutes to complete shearing and grooming Chris. The people, after they were done, left with 89 pounds of fleece from the sheep. Chris owns this world record. After all was done, the sheep was taken to the vet who confirmed that he was fine despite all the fleece. After a few days, Chris will be up for adoption. Looks like Chris is definitely loving his new haircut and is probably feeling fresh air for the first time in five years. As for the pink strains, that's antiseptic cream for all the adventure he's been through. Wow, right? I wonder where this sheep was and what he was doing for five years, but I bet he's feeling much better now. This, this story kind of fascinated me. It fascinated me that this sheep had strayed from, I'm, I'm assuming he had a shepherd at some point, strayed from his shepherd, he strayed obviously from his community and the rest of the sheep, and clearly the sheep could not take care of itself. And over five years later and 90 pounds of wool later, he finally gets the help that he needs. And I think that in our own lives, sometimes we can stray too. We can stray too. So many things in our lives can be these functional idols for us that catch our attention and lead us away from what God wants us to go to. And this is why it's so important to have a good shepherd, someone who will guide us back. This story that we just saw is just as much a statement about the absentee shepherd as it is about Chris. Whoever his shepherd was just went on with the rest of the flock. God is not like that. The good shepherd cares for his sheep. And not only does this good shepherd care for his sheep, this shepherd corrects his sheep. This is the second point. The psalmist says that the shepherd guides his sheep. He leads them. 
And I love that he uses this imagery of a rod and staff. A rod and a staff. And I think this is fascinating for a few different reasons. The shepherd's rod brings to mind how, you know, he might gently prod a sheep who kind of gets off track a little bit or, you know, tries to get him back in line. The staff has this hook on it, as you can see, right? So if you've got a really stubborn sheep, you put that hook around that sheep's neck, it's going to go wherever the staff is going, right? So you can use it if you need a little more force. But once, you know, once it's around your neck, it's going to correct you. But here's the thing that's striking to me about this imagery in today's passage. He says that these tools of correction bring comfort. That's what he says. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What is that all about? As I was reflecting on this passage this week, I couldn't get the old saying out of my mind that was very common in the church that I grew up in. Spare the rod. Oh, in your church as well, apparently. Um, spare the rod, spoil the child. A verse that is in the same place that the verse about patience not being a virtue is, or being a virtue is, somewhere not in the Bible, right? It's not in the Bible. Neither of them in the Bible. But anyways, I digress. It may be based on Proverbs 13. That's a whole other conversation. My point is that I've never thought about rods as tools of comfort. But the more I reflected on this, I think that Hebrews chapter 12 gives us some insight into how to make sense of this. Picking up in uh, verse 5 of chapter 12 in Hebrews. And have you completely forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, he's quoting Proverbs here. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one that he loves. He chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we might share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. I love this metaphor of, of parenting and caretaking because it gives us a framework for how to understand how correction fits into God's role as our shepherd. Just as correction keeps a child on the right path, a shepherd's willingness to correct his sheep is an expression of his care for the flock. This metaphorical rod not only helps to steer us, but in context, a rod was also used to fight off wolves or other things that would come to threaten the sheep. And this is why the rod and staff are tools of comfort. They steer and protect us. So not only does this shepherd care for his sheep, this shepherd corrects his sheep. And the third thing I want to note is that this shepherd commissions his sheep. Just as sheep have specific functions in their flocks, whether that's to provide lamb if they're young or provide wool when they're old or just to generate revenue or go to a specific place, the shepherd has intentions for the sheep. And those intentions aren't really complicated. The intention is simply that the sheep will follow. So in our own lives, where is God leading us? Where do we need to go to follow God? And when do we need to stay put to follow God? We discussed this a few weeks ago with the call of Moses because there's a season where God was calling Moses to stay in Egypt, right? There's work that he had to do there. 
But there's also a season when God was calling Moses to leave Egypt, to lead the people out, right? That they might worship God elsewhere in freedom. And it was dangerous for Moses to do this. He could have lost his life confronting Pharaoh, but he followed God. He chose to follow God. Where do we sense the good shepherd calling us, prodding us to follow him? And are we willing to follow this God even when it's into the valley of the shadow of death? What do we do when God is leading us into trial and tribulation? Sometimes we have trouble doing this because of fear. We fear the uncertainty that's ahead. We fear that God might not provide for us. We fear what other people might think about us. Or we might actually just like where we're at a bit too much. So we say, God, I know you're proud of me to take my relationship with you to the next level, but, but second-hand Christianity feels so much easier. It feels so much easier. It's so much easier to go through the religious motions week to week, check off the box, and then go home, make sure you go home by 6 so you have plenty of time for the Super Bowl, right? It's also much easier to respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit by just comparing ourselves with someone else who we think is less spiritual than we are to make ourselves feel better. That feels a lot easier than allowing the shepherd to take us somewhere uncomfortable, but somewhere necessary for our growth. Where is the good shepherd leading us right now as individuals or as a church? I think that the invitation today is to trust that this good shepherd does care for us and is committed to protecting and correcting his flock precisely because he loves us too much to leave us where we are, even if it's uncomfortable. It's only when we're convinced of this that we can say that even though we walk through the valley of shadow of death, even though we are in the darkest valley, we are not afraid because we trust this good shepherd. Jesus is in the valley with us, and he's not done with us. Jesus is in our storms with us. That's probably one of the stories in the scripture that I love the most. Like, Jesus is with his disciples. They're out on the, at the Sea of Galilee. All of a sudden, there's this huge storm. People are going crazy. They think they're all going to die. And Jesus is taking a nap. He's taking a nap, right? What is Jesus doing? But somehow Jesus is convinced that the shepherd is always in control. He's always in control. Somehow God is able to be in control and then to give us serenity in the middle of the storm too, protecting us, helping us to become more like him. Do we trust that the good shepherd is with us? For some of us, we can believe that God is a shepherd who cares for us, but sometimes we get distracted, like Chris, the sheep. Or like Peter, right? Peter's on the water. He sees Jesus. Jesus calls him to walk out. He walks out. All of a sudden, he looks down. He sees something else that catches his eye, and he begins to sink. He gets distracted. And in our own lives, God wants to steer us one way, but so many things around us can attempt to catch our eye. Other vocational paths that are different than what God wants for us, other relationship paths, the lore of power or status or success, other paths for how to pursue money, or even approaches to how to spend our money or use our resources that are not what God wants. There's so many things saying, hey, come follow me. Come follow me. And sometimes, like Chris the sheep or Peter, we stray, we get distracted. But the good news is that the good shepherd will always pursue us. Luke chapter 15 um, puts it this way. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. 
Then Jesus told him this parable. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I'll tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. In this chapter of Luke, the story is paired with the parable of the lost coin and the parable of the prodigal son. More than anything, this whole chapter is about this God who is willing to pursue those who have gone astray. For any of us who are feeling that today, may we be reminded that God knew all that we would ever do in this life, every mistake that we would ever make, every time that we would go astray, and God still chose to come and to die. Sometimes we find ourselves straying to places God never wanted us to go, but God will not give up on us. Other times, we make the mistake of staying in situations when it is actually time to leave. Sometimes where we are at is not conducive to what God is trying to do in us and with us. And it's our environment that is the problem. Um, several months ago, my, uh, my mother-in-law, she bought me this, uh, this wool hoodie. And I love this hoodie, right? I love hoodies in general. I just love them in general. But this specific one was like, it was a little big, but, you know, felt good. You know, snug, all those things. And... Um, I know from experience that one thing about wool is that you, gotta, you can't treat it the way you treat every other type of fabric, right? Especially when it comes to things like dryers. You just, it, they don't like dryers apparently. I don't know what's going on. Or at least not ones with any high heat. And so I, I made this commitment to myself. I told my wife about it. I said, you know what? I'm going to make sure that what happened last time where my, my sweater turned into a medium sweater, I, was, I said, it's not going to happen again. So I'm gonna, even if we wash it, I'm going to take it out, I'm going to air dry it, I'm going to make sure that this does not happen. So a couple months goes by, and everything's going as planned. And um, then all of a sudden one day, I'm like folding clothes, and I see my hoodie, and I'm like, this should not be in the folded clothes, because that means it's been in the dryer. This is not good. And um, so, obviously you can't see the comparison, but, and I don't know how much you can tell, but this is, um, this is a little smaller than what it originally was. And um, I, don't, I don't know a lot about hoodies and wool, but I know at least two things. What is that? Dry cleaners. Dry, yeah, I know. Dry, see, I could have done that. I don't know a lot about hoodies and, and things like that, but I do know that, one, if you put on your hoodie, your arm should not feel like you're getting your blood pressure taken. I know that. <laughs> I also know that, well, at least my style, maybe there's people who have different styles, but... You should not see your belly button if you put on your hoodie. That's just not, you know, maybe it's avant-garde. I don't know. It's not, that's not my style. So um, nothing had ever been wrong with this wool, right? But it was in an environment that prevented it from serving its purpose. It was too hot, right? It shouldn't have been in the dryer. It needed to be somewhere different. Its environment stood in the way. And I think the same thing can happen to us, where our environment is holding us back from doing what we're supposed to be doing following where we're supposed to follow. Sometimes God calls us to move to a different place. That could be moving in terms of the place that we live. That could be moving in terms of the job that we have. It could be moving in terms of the relationship that we are in. It could even be moving in terms of the local church we're a part of. That's a real thing. The most important thing is that we are following the shepherd. 
Moving when we hear him say move and stopping when he leads us to stop. If we are with him, we're right where we need to be. We're right where we need to be. So you may be here and you may be thinking about, like, what does it mean to actually follow God? And maybe you struggle to hear God's voice, right? There's that passage in Scripture where Jesus says, my sheep know my voice, right? A stranger they will not obey. And in our own lives, sometimes we can feel like we don't, we don't hear God's voice. So maybe you're in that place. Maybe it seems like God never speaks to you, but he seems to, other people seem to have God on speed dial. That could be you. My prayer is that God would free us from any temptation to compare ourselves to others and instead give us ears to hear God in the unique way that he reaches out to us. We talked about this now probably a year ago in our um, Hearing from God and Prophetic Ministry workshop, but we talked about the common ways, some common ways that people often um, hear from God and Probably the most common is in Scripture, where God can speak to us. God can speak to us through a voice. God can speak to us by giving us a word or an image. God can speak to us through people, through a sermon, through song, through a feeling, through events, through visions, through dreams. God is really creative. Or a donkey, as Pastor Don's reminded us of, right? God can do that. And so we don't have to experience God the same way everybody else does. What we can do is we can say, God, I want to open myself up for you to meet me and to speak to me in the way that you desire we can position ourselves for that, and the good shepherd will speak. So my prayer is that God would give us the capacity to attune our ears to his voice, as well as the commitment to follow that voice, wherever that voice leads us, because we know that we can trust the good shepherd, even when the good shepherd leads us into the valley of the shadow of death, even when the good shepherd leads us back into Egypt to bring freedom to others, even when the good shepherd leads us to step out of the boat and to walk on water, we can trust this God because this shepherd is good. So I'm going to invite the band back up, and I'll invite you to stand with me as we pray that God would speak and give us what we need to follow. Dear God, thank you that you are the good shepherd. God, we confess any ways in our lives where we have attempted to be shepherds over our own lives, where we have not sought to be led by you, but I sought to replace you. God, we confess. We confess that temptation in our lives. God, we confess the ways that we have been distracted and led astray by so many other things that compete for our devotion, our time, and our worship. God, we confess that. But God, we also affirm that you are the good shepherd who pursues lost sheep, who pursues sheep that have gone astray. And not only invites them back into the fold, but throws a whole feast for them. Celebrating them returning to their good father and good shepherd. So God, for each of us who are trying to discern what it means to hear you well, what it means to follow you well, God, I pray that you would give us wisdom. You pray that you would give us direction. Pray that, God, you would give us the gift of an interdependent spiritual family. That, God, it would not be all on us to try to figure it out, but that, God, we would be able to speak words of wisdom and encouragement to one another to help one another in this, in this path. God, we know that you are the only one who can make this possible. So we pray that you would lead us. Show us what it means for us to be sheep who follow you. Sheep who follow you, God. If you do this, we will give you the glory because you alone are worthy. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We appreciate you tuning in to the East End Fellowship Podcast. To see the full video of the sermon you just listened to, 
And for the best way to get in touch with us, check the show notes for all of our social media channels. For more information about how you can get involved with our community and to sign up for our newsletter, please visit eastendfellowship.org. Thanks again for listening.